All right. Y'all doing well? I was talking to a friend back in the back before the service started, and he asked me, he said, you know, are we doing baptisms today? And I, I said, maybe. And I said, well, we are, we have, uh, we're dedicating uh, a little boy named Wells. And he just, he said, oh, what a great name. And, uh, you know, in the Bible it says uh, that out of our innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So wells of life-giving water from our innermost being. You know what they believed our our innermost being was? Our heart. And so uh, Wells uh, had some some heart issues early on uh, that God has uh, really used that prophetically, I believe, uh, to speak over him with his name of Wells. And, uh, wells of revival. He's a constant uh, reminder to us of what God wants to do in our hearts. Uh, wells of revival uh, in our innermost being, rivers of living water. So uh, every time we see him and think about him, we're going to think about that. So thanks, Wells. You're awesome. All right, next Sunday, uh, we will be live stream only uh, at 11 o'clock. We have a little renovation project that will be starting tomorrow, and uh, so we will not be able to get in the building next Sunday. Um, We have been told that the project will take uh, two weeks, and every construction project ever has always finished on time, right? And so we fully expect that to happen. And, uh, but uh, hopefully if it's not completely finished um, in two weeks, we'll be able to at least get in the building and uh, have service, even if we can't be in the whole building. So just stay tuned for that. Um, but I wanna say a couple of things about, about this, uh, the renovation, a lot of it is just updating uh, the perimeter uh, of our building, but the biggest part of it is converting this uh, four-year area into a coffee house. And I want to say something about that because I want you to understand uh, really our, our reasoning behind that and why we uh, as a staff and leadership feel so strongly about it. This is something we've actually prayed about and thought about and talked about for 10 years and uh, finally in a place where we feel like it's the right time to do it. And I, I love coffee, y'all know me, and I love the idea you know, that we can have coffee on Sunday mornings and even that you could come early and, and, and get you know, one of those fancy coffees before church if you wanna do that. I, I drink my coffee black, and so I'm, you know, that whole crazy fancy drink doesn't surprise or doesn't excite me. But that's really not why we're doing this. We're not building, we're not doing a coffee house so that you have a place to drink coffee on Sunday morning. It, it will be that, you can enjoy that, but that's, that's really not uh, the, the vision behind it. Uh, when, when I read through the scriptures, I see Jesus and Paul and others using uh, their culture and their environment uh, to preach the gospel. Jesus told parables And he told parables that spoke into the culture that he lived in. And so it made the gospel understandable for them. Paul used his surroundings. Uh, He even 
pointed to uh, statues of false gods and used them in evangelism. He pointed to a statue of an un- unknown god and said, you, you know, you see this statue, let me tell you who this unknown god is. And so he used his surroundings and his culture to present the gospel. And, and believe it or not, we, we live in a coffee culture. And so we believe that we can use the space, really, uh, to attract people and, and get people into that space and present the gospel. When I close my eyes and think about that coffee house, this is what I see. Uh, I, I don't see you guys out there Sunday morning uh, drinking coffee instead of coming in here and listening to me. I, that's not what I see. When I close my eyes, what I see in that coffee house is 50 to 100 students from KSU sitting around tables, drinking coffee, and participating in an alpha course, hearing the gospel presented, making a faith decision, and then being baptized right there. That's what I see. I see young couples gathered around tables in that four-year coffee house, watching the alpha course, making a faith decision, going from there into the alpha marriage course, having their families radically changed and the destiny of their children radically changed. That's why I'm for this. Uh, That's what I see when I close my eyes. Uh, I believe it it will help us, it will position us uh, and help us to reach the people that we want to reach. And so pray for us, pray that, that things go smoothly, pray that we get it done quickly and I uh, can move into it soon. So, um, Also, uh, how, how many of you get the newsletter? Okay. If, if you don't, uh, it's relatively easy. Stop at the Connect wall on your way out today, and they'll help you sign up for that. But uh, in the newsletter, we put a little short survey, easiest survey ever uh, to fill out. One, one question with two options for answers. Uh, we have been praying, and, and we, we just really believe that it's, it's time for Riverstone as a family to be back together again. And so we, we really want to go back to one service so that we can all be here. We uh, went to two services uh, back during the beginning of COVID just for spacing out and making people feel safer. And we just believe that we're at a place now where we can safely come back together uh, in one service. And so we... We want to do that. We want to do it as soon as we can. Uh, but we also want to hear from you. If you have reservations uh, about that, we want to know what they are. And so it's a quick, quick survey that you can fill out that will help us kind of understand where you are. Uh, but we, we really do believe that, it, that it's time to do that. And so uh, we're planning uh, in that direction. And uh, we'd love for you to uh, help us out by telling us, telling us what you think. All right. Um, last week, we started a three-week series on spiritual gifts. I mentioned that earlier today. Um, last week, uh, we looked at the gifts of revelation. Uh, we're using uh, the spiritual gifts list in 1 Corinthians 12 because it is a set in a congregational setting. And, and so we felt like that was the most appropriate list for us to use uh, in this context. So I'm, I'm going to read again 
uh, from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, and then verses 27 to 31. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit and distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And then verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Now let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for uh, the way that you love us. We thank you for your generosity, uh, the way that you give to us and the, the way that you work in us. And so we pray uh, today that you would teach us uh, the things that, that you want to teach us. We pray that our hearts and our faith would expand today, that we would love you more, that we would believe you more, and that we would walk more closely, more intimately with you. And so Holy Spirit, we, we say that we love you. We invite you uh, to have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you were here last week, we talked about uh, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. And, and this was kind of the key thought uh, that was presented last week and that will carry on throughout uh, the three weeks of the series is everything in humility. Everything in humility. God's gifts are not a sign of how good we are. God's gifts are a sign of how good he is. So everything in humility. Today we're going to look at what are called the power gifts. Uh, and that list would be the gift of faith, uh, the gift of miraculous powers, and the gift of healing. And the, these three gifts tend to travel together. Uh, when you see one, oftentimes you see uh, the others. So uh, the first, the gift of faith, 
Uh, a working definition for that would be supernatural confidence from the Spirit of God, usually about something God is going to do. Now, throughout the Gospels, throughout the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, there are different words that are used that we translate faith. And there are different ideas or expressions of, of what faith is. Uh, there is a faith that we would consider to be a creed, a statement of doctrine. Uh, Ephesians 4.13 and 1 Timothy 6 talk about uh, the faith, which would be more of a doctrine or a way of belief. Uh, trust in Jesus for salvation is also translated as faith. In Ephesians 2, it says it is by grace we are saved through faith. So we, we say that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone for our salvation, that is trusting him for salvation. Uh, also in Galatians 5, we're told that faith is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, what we're talking about today is faith as a gift of the Spirit. And it is talked about in that context uh, in Matthew 17, Matthew 21, it would be more of what we would call mountain-moving faith, where God gives you uh, supernaturally the ability to believe him for things that are not normal, for things that are extraordinary, out of the ordinary. Uh, we can have the fruit of faith and not have the gift of faith, Okay? Uh, but we can't have the fruit or the gift without saving faith. And so that, that's where it starts. Um, some examples from Scripture. Hebrews 11, verses 20 and 21 says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. In that context, what faith means is that uh, Isaac believed what God said about their future. Uh, in Daniel 6, we read the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And it, it says that when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on, found on him because he trusted or had faith in his God. And so in that context, Daniel is in an incredibly difficult situation, one that would cause most of us uh, to be quite afraid. And, and Daniel is at peace and comes out of the lion's den unharmed. And Scripture says the reason was because he had faith in God. He believed that God would bring him out of that difficult situation. We see the same thing happen with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go into a fiery furnace. They say before they go in, we know that God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, no big deal. We're going to trust him. And they come out, and the Bible says that their clothes don't even smell like smoke. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we found the story of Elisha who tells a woman who is in great debt to go around to her neighbors and borrow jars and to take those jars home and then begin to pour. She has just a little bit of oil to begin to pour the little bit of oil that she has into these containers and to fill them up just to use what she has until she runs out. And if you know the story, she pours and she pours and she pours and she pours and she never runs out. Now, what happens in this story? Who has faith? We don't really know if the woman had faith or not. We know she had obedience 
She did what she was told, but Elisha had faith. We know that Elisha had faith because Elisha told her, go and do this, get the oil and do this. It, it didn't look practical, right? She's in debt. And the first thing he tells her to do is borrow. <laughs> Makes no sense. And then he says, pour out the oil. She has just a little bit. She got all these jars so it doesn't make sense. And that's really a lot of times the way this gift, the supernatural gift of faith works is that you're in a situation and God tells you something and challenges you or encourages you to believe him in a situation where to the eye, to the naked eye, it doesn't make sense. But God gives you the grace to believe him. Uh, George Mueller is a man from history that we identify as just a great man of faith. He ran an orphanage in Bristol, England, where he had up to 4,000 orphans under his care. Uh, a few years ago, my wife and I had a chance to go to Bristol, uh, England, and we, we wanted to see uh, this place where he had all these orphans, where, where he just believed God for incredible things and, and saw God work miracles uh, in his ministry. And so we started looking around and asking people, you know, where was George Mueller's place? And nobody, they, not only did they not know where George Mueller's place was, they didn't know who George Mueller was. Right there in, in Bristol, in his hometown. They didn't know him. And we looked and we looked and we looked and we finally uh, found a little museum uh, that celebrated the ministry of George Mueller. You know where it was? It was on Mueller Street. <laughs> Go figure. So I asked the curator of the museum, I said, you know, we ask people all over town. Nobody knows who George Mueller was. And, and he said, you know, they've, they've forgotten George Mueller here. And I said, but the, your museum is on Mueller Street. And he said, yeah, they, they think it's named, they think the street is named for the yogurt company. It's a sad thing that they've lost that history because George Mueller was an incredible man of faith. One of my favorite stories of George Mueller, he got up, went downstairs one morning, and he was told by his staff, we don't have any food. We have all these orphans to feed. We have no food. We have no bread. We have no milk. And they said, what do we do? And Mueller said, set the table. And so they set the table for breakfast. They came back and they asked Mueller, what do we do now? And he said, call the children. The children came and they seated them at the tables. And then the staff looked at George Mueller and they said, now what do we do? And he said, give thanks for the food. Say grace. And they bowed their heads and they began to pray, God, thank you for your provision. Thank you for the food that you have provided. And as they prayed, a bread truck pulled up to the front door, a milk truck pulled up to the back door and everyone was fed. A man of faith, incredible gift of faith. Reese Howells is another uh, person from history that I, I look to and, and think about, this incredible man of faith. He, he needed to take a train ride, needed to go to see his family, and uh, he had no money. And God told him, go stand in the queue, go stand in the line, at the train station. And so he went and he stood in the, in the line. And you know, it was easy for him when the line was long. 
He had no money and he had no ticket and he's standing in this long line and then the line gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And as the line gets shorter, it becomes harder to believe. But Reese Howells believes that God has told him, you're, you're going on a train ride today. And he gets finally up to, he's the next, there's one person in front of him. And the person in front of him turns around and hands him their ticket and walks away. He had the gift of faith. He didn't know how it was going to happen. He just knew that it was going to happen. And he stayed in the line, uh, believing God. Why does God give this gift of faith? Why, why does God give an extraordinary ability to believe God for difficult things, for, for almost what we would call unbelievable things? Why does he do that? Number one, he, he gives that gift uh, to certain individuals at certain times for his glory. It's not for our glory. If God gives you the gift of faith, it's not so you can look good in front of your friends. It's not. He gives you the gift of faith to point to him, to give him glory, and to give you encouragement. To give you encouragement, to let you know that God is near, to let you know that God cares, to let you know that God is able, that nothing is too difficult for him. And a third reason that God gives this gift is to open the eyes of the lost. Open the eyes of a loss. You have unbelieving people who have continued in unbelief for years and years and years because they have tried to rationally understand Christianity. And they just can't figure it out. But when they see the hand of God move in an unbelievable way, when they see somebody pray for something that is extraordinary, seemingly out of reach, and then it happens, it opens the eyes of the lost to the realities of God. The second gift in this list today is the gift of miraculous powers. Uh, definition of miraculous powers would be the supernatural intervention of Holy Spirit into the natural order of things through an individual. Now, I say that because what we're talking about are spiritual gifts, and spiritual gifts operate through people. Now, obviously, God can do miracles without our help. God can do miracles just by speaking the word. But when he uses the spiritual gift of miraculous powers, he does that through people. An example of that, changing water to wine. Changing water to wine, guys, is not normal. It's not normal. Now, some of you, I don't know, maybe some of you have big vats of water in your garages and you've just been waiting for it to turn into wine. And it's, I'm just going to tell you it's not a natural process. There's not this fermentation thing that happens to water that m magically turns it into wine. It's not going to happen. Water was turned into wine by Jesus, and it was a temporary suspension of the normal order. God did not design the world so that water 
automatically turned into wine. And so what happens through that gift, through that spiritual gift of miraculous power, is that the natural laws that God has created are superseded in a situation by God. And so Jesus turns water into wine. Another example of that is when Jesus walked on water. Anybody ever tried that? I had a friend in seminary who wanted to walk on water. And he would, many nights a week, he would go down to the pool on our campus and he would try to walk across the pool. And to my knowledge, he never succeeded. I, I was always a little confused. I, I, I couldn't understand whether he had faith for it or not because he would dress in a suit and put on dress shoes because he felt like if, if he wore a bathing suit, that would show a lack of faith. But he only went at night when no one was there. And so I, I don't know whether, you know, he, he's doing this that shows faith, he's doing this that shows no faith, and so I don't know. Uh, but we know that Jesus walked on water, and we know that that's not normal. Uh, water was not made to walk on. Uh, we also know that Jesus fed thousands of people with a small amount of food. That God actually multiplied the food as they gave it out. Uh, I've actually seen this happen. Um, my wife and I were on a mission trip, and we invited uh, the children from the village that we were in to come for Bible school, and we expected 30, 35 children. And we had about 150 show up, and we had candy for 35. If you want to know if God likes candy, I'm convinced that God likes candy because he multiplied it that day. Uh, we, had 30, we had candy for 35. We had 150 children. We had candy left over after we gave candy to every child because we saw that we were in trouble, and we prayed. And we said, Lord... You're going to have to do this. Uh, we can't do it. And so God did that. So sometimes we call miracles uh, signs and wonders. Uh, gifts of miracles are usually partnered with the gift of faith. So God will give someone the faith to believe for a miracle, and then when they ask for that miracle, God delivers. Now, again, why, why does God give Miracles. Why does God do miracles? Uh, number one, to point to God, to bring glory to God, to cause us to say only God could do that. Also to increase our faith. When you see a miracle, it will increase your faith. You'll find yourself able to believe God more readily uh, for the things in your life on a daily basis. And then again, to open the eyes of the lost to open the eyes of the lost. Now, understand this. The gift, the spiritual gift of miracles is never given to highlight the instrument. It's not to draw attention to you. It is always and only to draw attention to God. Now, the third in this list is the gift of healing. And a short definition for that would be healing power from God channeled through human agents for healing diseases. And again, 
Um, God can heal any way, anytime, anyhow, just by speaking the word. But when we talk about healing as a spiritual gift, that it is something that God does through uh, a human agent, okay? Uh, now, actually what healing is, typically, is the acceleration of the laws that God has put in place. So the miracle would be superseding the laws that God has in place. Healing, oftentimes, most times, is acceleration of the laws that God has put in place. God's created your body to heal itself. If you cut your finger, it will heal. What, he, what healing as a spiritual gift does is it accelerates uh, that process. And healing often partners with the gift of faith and, and words of knowledge. God will give you faith to believe for someone's healing, or God will give you a word of knowledge that someone's going to be healed. And again, as we said in the very beginning, humility is the key. Humility is key. I, I believe that God's desire is to heal. I do. I, I believe that God wants people to be well. I also know that the Bible says that it's God's will that none should perish, but many have and many will. And so I, I, there are questions I can't answer. I don't understand. I don't know why everyone who's prayed for is not healed. I do believe that it's God's will and desire for us to be well. For some of us, ultimate healing will not come until death. But if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that will be the most incredible healing ever uh, when we die and go to be with him. But my trust in God and my belief in healing cannot come into conflict. They have to work together. And so I do have faith that God can heal anything. I don't believe that God heals the little things, the easy things, but that there are some things that are too hard for him. I don't believe that for a minute. I don't believe that there's a time limit, that God will only heal you if you pray early, you know, before the sickness lasts too long. I don't believe there are time limits. I don't believe that there's any condition that is beyond God's reach. I believe that God can heal any person, any time of anything. There's no limit to his ability to do that. I don't understand, I don't have an answer for why some people are healed and some people are not. But it doesn't shake my faith and it doesn't cost me not to trust him. Humility is the key. Jesus said the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. That's John chapter 5, verse 19. I believe that medicine is a form of healing. And the reason I believe that is because every scientific breakthrough that has ever happened was a gift from God. I also believe that the sacraments are used in healing. We'll have an opportunity later today for any of you that want to, to take Holy Communion. And historically in the church, God has used Holy Communion and laying on of hands uh, to minister healing to his people. 
anointing with oil God has used to minister healing. Uh, the sacraments are, are powerful, powerfully used by God. Anointed individuals, and this is kind of what we're talking about when we talk about healing uh, as a gift, as a spiritual gift, is that God anoints certain individuals with extraordinary gifts of healing. Now, some of us are a little nervous when it comes to talk of faith healers, but the truth is, the Bible says that there is a legitimate spiritual gift of healing. And some people operate in that gift more strongly than others. I have a friend who, (laughs) if you don't want to be prayed for, do not limp around him. (laughs) If you have a cast on your arm, you, you better figure out a way to hide it. If there's anything wrong with you, he is going to pray for you. And it is astounding how many people are healed when he prays for them. It's a gift. It's a spiritual gift that God gives. Why? Why does he do it? Number one is to contribute to the process of wholeness, healing. God wants us to be whole. Uh, It's also to alleviate suffering. God doesn't want us to suffer. It's also to heal emotions. There's emotional healing as well that God wants us to have. Uh, Another reason that God uses healing is to edify believers, uh, to build us up, to encourage us, to let us know how near he is. It also serves, as we've said about other gifts, as a sign of God's kingdom to an unbelieving world. And ultimately, God heals when he heals to bring glory to himself, to point to himself. Now, Riverstone is is known to be uh, a healing church, a church that believes in healing, a church that that prays for healing, uh, a church that has regular times of healing prayer. And I want to just mention five things that are key characteristics for a church that wants to operate uh, in healing and to walk in that regard. Number one is humility. We've said that over and over. We can't say it too much. Uh, This is about God. God is the healer. We are not. And even when God gives you an extraordinary gift, it's not to point to you. It's to point to him. So humility is is key. The second characteristic that's important uh, for a church that wants to be known as a healing church or wants to operate uh, in that place of healing is faith in and value for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just, I know we, we think we do. We think we have faith and, and value for uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me just throw some questions out there. You don't have to answer out loud. These are, you can answer these questions in your heart. Um, how many of you would say that you worship the Holy Spirit? How many of you would say you love the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Okay. Uh, We quite easily say we love Jesus. Sometimes our ideas about the Holy Spirit are different 
You need to understand, the Holy Spirit, it's, this is not like Star Wars. He's not the force that lives with us. He is God, right? The Holy Spirit is God. Have you ever heard of a church that overemphasized Jesus? Have you ever been to a church and people just said, yeah, they, they just overemphasize Jesus. They just, they think too much about Jesus. They focus too much on Jesus. You would never, you would never hear that, right? But have you ever heard of a church that overemphasized the Holy Spirit? I've heard of, I've heard that said. Listen, if he's God, you can't overemphasize him. He's God. We, taught, we call him the third person of the Trinity. Here's what you need to know about that. He's called the third person of the Trinity because there are three. If they didn't, it wasn't a contest. They didn't have a contest in heaven and he came in third. <laughs> He's God, y'all. He is. He's God. And, and you can worship him. You can love him. You can pray to him. You can value, have value for him and what he does and how he wants to move in and through you. And having value for the ministry of the Holy Spirit doesn't mean I'm open. I'm open to the Holy Spirit. It means I'm open to the Holy Spirit. Okay. So... Humility, faith in, and value for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Honor and respect for those who are being prayed for. Compassion and genuine concern for those who are being prayed for. And patience with the people being prayed for and the process that God may be taking them through. Paul prayed over and over and over and over again that God would remove this thorn in his flesh. It didn't happen, but Paul was patient with God's process. And so, all of those things are essentials and really important if we want to be uh, a church that believes in healing and walks in healing and experiences uh, healing uh, through the power of God's Spirit. Now, here's what we're going to do now. We're going to uh, get out of our comfort zone a little bit. Now, I'll say that for, for some of you. For many of you, this will be out of your comfort zone. For some of you, this will be your absolute sweet spot, and you will want to do this every week. And so what I'm going to ask you to do uh, is to get into groups of no less than three, no more than five. Now, I understand if, if you are uncomfortable with doing that because you're still a little anxious about COVID and stuff like that, then I respect that. If you are uneasy about doing that because you just don't like people, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Okay. Um, so we're going to move really quick. Groups of three to five. The early service works. They move so much faster than y'all. Three to five. And, and all we're going to do is, is we're going to pray for each other. Okay? So get with your people. Get in a group. Three to five. There we go. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do when you first get with your group. 
want you to do a quick little intro. Make sure you know everyone. Make sure you know everybody's name. You don't need to ask for their life story. You just need to know their name. My name is Tom. Your name is... Good. All right. Now, I want you to ask, is there someone in your group who needs healing, specifically? Someone in your group, uh, you need prayer for healing. There's something going on in your life. You need healing, uh, specifically physical healing. You, you would want healing, okay? If that's the case, then I want you to just begin to pray for that person, okay? Uh, they can tell you as much as they want to tell you. Well, not as much. They can tell you as much as they need to tell you so that you can pray. But don't spend a whole lot of time on the story. Let's pray, okay? We're going to pray for God to heal. So if that's the case, just go ahead and start praying. If there's no one in your group who needs physical healing, then ask if there's something else that they want prayer for or need prayer for. It could be a relational thing. It could be a spiritual thing. It could be a financial thing could be that they've been listening to this series on spiritual gifts and they have no idea what their gift is. Or they might say, you know what, I'm not even sure if I've ever been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so just have those conversations and whatever needs to be prayed for, begin to pray for those people. Now, while you're doing all this, if your group or someone in your group wants Holy Communion, just lift your hand and we will find you. Uh, just lift your hand and we will bring you a little juice cup uh, with a, a wafer in it. So just lift your hand and, and keep it up until someone comes to you. 